0: reading from first Corinthians for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart where is the one who is wise But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both to Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men.
1: Thank you, Laura. Well, good morning. Bill Moore put out a movie a while ago called "Religious." It was a movie that mocked all forms of religion, but it specifically targeted Christianity uh, in a variety of ways. And in the movie, here's some of the things that he said about faith and Christianity. Faith means making a virtue out of not thinking. Religion must die in order for man to live. Those who preach faith, they keep us in bondage. They are our intellectual slaveholders. And they keep us in bondage to fantasy and to nonsense. A mockery of Christianity, a mockery of any sort of faith. And this is what was going on with the young believers in the Church of Corinth in Greece. They were being attacked left and right, told that their faith was just a joke. How could you possibly believe in such a thing? And so Paul steps right into the middle of that to encourage the young believers and who God has made them to be, to encourage them to hold on to their faith and to draw them out of a place that seeks wisdom of the world. Those who would say, this is just a joke. And here's what he says. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness. The original language is, it's moronic. It's moronic. To those who are perishing, that is, to those who are dying spiritually. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the word used there is where we get our word dynamite. To those who are perishing, it is moronic. To those of us who are allowing God to work in our hearts and in our lives, it is like dynamite. And it breaks through. It's the transformative power of God. It's God's overwhelming love. And it's amazing to me, that the world sits there and it's like holding a stick of dynamite that is lit. And they think, those who are perishing, they think that they can stand and look at this, this lit stick of dynamite and say, dynamite, you're stupid. You have no control over me. You have no power and continue to yell at the stick of dynamite as though the dynamite's not going to do its thing. That's what the world does. We're enslaved, apparently, to nonsense and foolishness. But God's power is working in the heart of men. Like a gold miner exploding that that hard rock, trying to get to the precious metal which is our heart, which is our soul. And that God's work in that never stops. That his word and the truth about who he is and what he's done in his love for us in his sending of his son to die on the cross for us, that is dynamite. And it's exploding all over the world. Even though people say, you are a joke to think such a thing. I want to tell you guys about a website. I want you to write this down if you have a pen. It's called GodRev, R-E-V, stands for revolution. GodRev.com. This is an amazing website that taps in all around the world. And the reality is, nowadays, all around the world, we have internet and we have access. We're connected everywhere. But this website in particular is is amazing to me because it reminds me when we think we're being defeated, when we're getting so much of, of our surroundings that are saying, you're a joke. Christianity is failing. Look at the world. There's no influence. Where's God in the middle of all this? All around the world, what happens is is as people are ministering and sharing the love of God with people, and they come to know Jesus Christ. They hop on the internet, and they say, hey, Jonathan today gave his life to Jesus Christ. And then Jonathan hops on the internet, on a Facebook or whatever, he says, hey, would you pray for me? And they'll show a picture of this guy all the way across the world. GodRev.com. And so I looked at it yesterday. And what it says is, it says everybody who's, not only just come on the site, but those who have said, yes, I want to receive Jesus Christ. Yesterday, 987, who said, yes, I want to receive Jesus Christ. Thousands of visits, because people are looking for truth. And Bill Maher says, oh, what a fool. But people's hearts, because of the dynamite of God, is breaking through, and their hearts are opening up to the love of God. God's not losing nothing. And he isn't stopping and pursuing those who long to have life. Again, everybody can say it looks like foolishness. And the, the young church was dealing with this. And Paul, as he's dealing with the church and, 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 and what's going on in the church, he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to draw back to the Lord. I want you to draw back to who he is and what he's doing in your life. And he pulls out Isaiah 29 to remind them about who their Lord is and to remind them about staying away from the, from the attraction to the wisdom of the world. To those who are saying, hey, wait a second, this is upside down and backwards. He's all, yeah, it is upside down and backwards. And you're getting caught up in it. You're getting caught up in the wisdom of the world. Here's what Isaiah 29 says. To the Israelites who were, again, kind of... The Israelites at the time were, were falling into the wisdom of the world. The Israelites were uh, faking Christianity, so to speak. They were given a lot of lip service. They were looking very godly. And this is what Paul draws in on. These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Pharisees love that, didn't they? Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. And the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness, who basically sin, and they think to themselves, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down. That's the world's wisdom. As if the potter were thought to be like clay. As though God is like you. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? There was an incredible attraction to the wisdom of the world. There's the Bill Mars out there who say, what absurdity to think that there's a God who loves you who created you out of nothing. What foolishness. To think that there's salvation. That's just moronic. God says the wisdom of the wise will perish. There was a whole history of the Greek philosophers that would take place, and and people were buying into it, into the church. Remember, the young church was, was attracted to they were attracted to the spiritual leaders. They were attracted to Paul and, and Apollos. They were attracted... They were, some would say, well, we're connected with Christ. Basically saying, we, we've got the only way figured out. And, and so they're trying to make all these connections with these spiritual leaders. And they were doing the same with the intellectual leaders, the wise guys of the day. There was all these incredible teachings from these men of wisdom... Remember Aristotle's famous quote? Happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life. The whole aim and the end of human existence is happiness. Really? Everybody's buying into it. We as a culture today still buy into it, don't we? God says the aim is Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do likewise unto your neighbor. Love. Our focus and our attention and everything about us centered on Christ. Happiness is never a guarantee. God will fill us with joy, his joy. But we buy into Aristotle's philosophy. That's our end all of all things. We must be happy. In the culture in Corinth, there was what was called the sophist. Sophist, and some of you may be named Sophia or have children named Sophia. And it, it means wise, wisdom. It's a beautiful name. If I had a little girl, I would have named her Sophia. Three boys. I don't know what we did wrong. We got no little girls. So there was all these sophists that would stand around and there's great paintings the, the, the masters of art have painted these Greek philosophers and they would stand on the stairs like this and they would pontificate and, and just talk and keep talking and all the paintings showed just people at their feet just, oh, bathe us in your wisdom life is all about happiness what foolishness and the young church was buying into it. And sometimes we fall into it. The wisdom of the world. Drawing in. And what was happening again is pride issues were developing. There would be a connection with certain sophists, certain wise, wise people. I'm connected with this one. I'm connected with that. And all of a sudden they're bringing this into the church family. And Paul is trying to draw them out and say, wait a second, what is going on? Who are our sophists today? Who are the wise ones that we are drawn to? There's L. Rushbo, Rush Limbaugh, who very strongly claims, talent on loan from God. Half of my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. We're drawn to talk show, radio. We listen and we... Again, there's some things that we can glean or that we're drawn to. But like, this is what Rush says. For many across the nation, Oprah was the great sophist. Wasn't she? And quite honestly, some of us would buy into her stuff. Everybody would say one of the most influential, in the, influential women in the world, period everything she would say, oh, Oprah said. Oprah said this. Must be true. But her wisdom was foolish. And so Paul addresses this, this draw to the wise people. Again, in Corinth, it was, it was held in such high esteem. Oh, to be intellectual. Oh, to be a great debater. And Paul says in verse 20, Yet in the middle of all of this, where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Basically he's saying a couple of things. He's saying, Listen, I know these guys. And quite honestly, there's just a few of them. It's not like there's all of this all of these men who are just coming forth. There's a few. And yet you're letting them you're letting them influence you. And you're drawing near to them. And you know what? I've debated with these guys. Paul was no idiot, right? He was brilliant. The guy could debate. But he's saying, listen, I've debated with these guys. I know who they are. Why, why are we being so drawn to this wisdom of the world? The other thing he's saying is this. Where, what does this have anything to do with what's going on in our, in our family, our church family? Why why are we bringing in the wisdom of the world into what God has for us? Where is the wise person here? Why Why are we attracted to this? Because this is not the way of God. This isn't what he has for us. And you're starting to make it a pride issue and you're really drawing on to intellectualism and then you're stirring up debate and you're entering into debate and fighting and quarreling. Remember earlier? There's a lot of quarreling going on in the church. You know, Paul says in Timothy, as he's writing a letter to, to young Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, stop, stop getting into meaningless arguments with others. You, you're, you're, you're getting into this, trying to fight for the faith. And Paul very, very strongly says to young Timothy, hey, Timothy, knock it off. Here's why. You don't win anybody over in this. It's a meaningless exercise. You try to win the argument and yet nobody's won over. And next thing you know, you're in a contentious relationship with that person instead of really sharing the love of God with them and the gospel. Just stop going there. Stop going into battle. Paul says, that's starting to happen in the church. We're getting into battle and, and yet there's no wisdom here. It doesn't fit in the church of God. There's all these wise sayings Yet here's the truth. God's the only one. God is the only one who offers and gives eternal life. You can can speak at us with all these profound thinkings and sayings and keep saying them over and over again so that we'll get the point. But does that save your life? Is that salvation? God's the only one who can forgive and cleanse us from our sin. Isn't that true? The world and all its wise sayings cannot do that. And yet for some reason, we're attracted to that. And Paul's saying, draw back. Look what God has done, verse 20. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other ways, don't you realize that God's ways are not our ways? Haven't you got that yet? You know, again, everything in our logic, and we go, this is the way to do life. And God's saying, no, 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 that's not the way to do life. I have a whole other plan. My ways are not your ways. My thinking is not your thinking. You're buying into what your human logic brings into the picture. I've made foolish the wisdom of the world. See, especially for the Jews, they would say, here's the wisdom. Come in as this powerful king. You've got to come in mighty and with incredible strength and never show your weakness, and you will have victory. That's what our Messiah is meant to be. That's what a good king looks like. You will be strong. And God says, really? That's the wisdom of the world. This is how to have success. This is how to bring about salvation the mighty Messiah. So what does God do? God, in all of his power, comes in human flesh as what? A helpless babe. Can't protect himself. Has no strength. Totally vulnerable. Not only a helpless babe born to a virgin. What? That makes no sense. Not only born to a virgin, but in extreme poverty? Huh? What about the wealth and the influence? And the world's gone. That's just idiotic. And the Bill Mars, boy, he went off on the virgin birth. Who would really believe such a thing? And God says, I have made foolish... The wisdom of the world. Not only that, then Jesus grows up and he starts teaching the backwards thinking of God that we think is backwards. Hey, you know what? If you want to be first, you shall be last. Huh? If you want to have life, you've got to surrender your life. Seriously, Lord. You know what? I want you to pray for your enemies. Are you kidding? We need to kill our enemies and attack back. God's ways make foolish the wisdom of the world. And some reason we're drawn and we soak in and we want to be wise like the world. And God's saying, stop. That's not what I have. And Paul is reminding them. The world is is saying, listen, this is how it should be. And then the ultimate thing after Jesus says all of these teachings, again, that seems so backwards to us, and then God in his amazing love does absolutely the most foolish thing of all, what does he do? He sends his son to the cross. Where's the victory there? How foolish is that? How absurd is that? You see... The world will keep mocking you. And God is saying, my ways are not the ways of the world. And this wisdom of the world that says, this is just a joke. And actually the Jews said, this is scandalous. Scandalous. You cannot have our God, our Messiah, be on a cross, a Roman cross. Scandalous. To those who are perishing, that is Moronic, But to those of us who are being saved, it is dynamite. Because God rose from the dead. And he's given us life to those who would believe upon him. It's dynamite. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, now this is his wisdom, his ways... The world did not come to know God through what? Through wisdom. Let me ask you a question. And I want you to really think about it for a minute. How did you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, for those of you who have in this room? What was that like for you? What took place? Think about it. How did God get a hold of you? What did he speak into your life? Why would you enter into this foolishness of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ? Was it because you won an intellectual victory? Was it because you figured it all out? You finally got a hold of, okay, the Jonah and the whale thing. All right, I think I got that. Did you all of a sudden figure it out? That God breathed life the man? Did you get it all hammered down and, and like, I've got it? We're not, we're not to be stupid Christians, right? I mean, we're supposed to be searching and trying to understand who the Lord is. Absolutely. And be like the Bereans who, when Paul would teach, every time he would teach, they would say, listen, thanks for sharing, Paul. But now we're going to really search the scriptures to know what it really says. We're not to be stupid Christians. But did you come to Christ because you won an intellectual battle? I would suggest that that's not the case for pretty much all of you. But that God, as he was mining for gold, your heart, he exploded through that hard rock. And that you came to a place in your life where you went, you know what, I am a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. And that God loved me in such a way that He broke through that hard heart and I recognize that He died for my sin on the cross. And I recognize that He has provided a way of salvation. And I recognize that He can wash me from all this junk in my life and that He gives me life. I've come to a place where I know that. Not because I figured God out. And boy, if you figured God out, I mean, you're lying. He's working in our hearts. C.S. Lewis was an incredible, intelligent man. He wrote all those beautiful Narnia stories and he just wrote he was a great debater. He would he would just he could wipe you out in a debate. And he used to debate quite a bit, and then he he got away from that so that he could bring the love of God to people more than doing the debate all the time. But he shares, this incredible intellectual man, he shares how God got a hold of him in his book, Surprised by Joy. And it's an amazing book, and here's what he says about his life and God getting a hold of him. He was out at Oxford in England, and he was out at one of the... Constituent colleges there, Magdalene, and he says this You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, night after night, feeling, whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of Him who I so earnestly desire not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, on May 22nd, I gave in. And I admitted that God was God. And I knelt and I prayed. Perhaps that night I was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England... I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing. The divine humility, which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son, he says, at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore the love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking and struggling, and resentful. And his eyes are darting in every direction for a chance to escape. The hardness of God, he says, is kinder than the softness of men. And his compassion is our liberation. God got a hold of his heart. He was an incredible intellect. But it wasn't the wisdom of the world that changed him. God says, I will turn that upside down. What pleases God, verse 21, and look what it says it pleased God through the folly of what we preach the gospel. It pleased God through the gospel, the truth that God died on the cross. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. That he rose again. Simple gospel. That if we believe upon him, his son Jesus, we shall have life. That's the simple gospel. The cross, Christ crucified, Christ risen from the dead. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach Look what the outcome is in verse 21. What's the outcome? To save those who believe. Everybody's saying you're absurd. Movies are being made about what a joke it is. And God's saying it pleases Him as we continue to preach Christ crucified. The Jews, the Jews are sitting there going, there's no way. We want miracles. Prove it, God. God. So they kept sharing the simple gospel. The Greeks wanted wisdom. But Paul says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Even though it's a stumbling block, and that word there is it's scandalous to the Jews, even though it's scandalous to them and moronic to the Gentiles, we preach Christ crucified. Why? Because it's life. It's dynamite. It's the power of God and his love for us. We preach it. It's true wisdom. Yeah, God's ways are not our ways. But we preach Christ crucified. The thing that happens in the church family all across the nation is for some reason, for some reason we think, It's not enough to share the word of God and to share the simple gospel. We think that we we must add more, we must bring in more, we must make it more attractive so that people's hearts can be reached for God. And so we get into this whole arena of let's make church life just so great and, and just so attractive to everybody so that they'll come and their hearts will be changed. But we get more caught up in in doing that stuff that will be attractive than than really sharing the Word of God. We bring in these these worship bands that quite honestly, they're they're like professional bands putting on an amazing concert. Again, it's not not awful. I'm just saying that becomes the focus. We've got to have the best, best professional bands up there in order to draw people's hearts into God. You'll hear all kinds of great teachings, but the teachings are these like good moral stories. And a lot of times you'll be hard-pressed to, like, hear, was Jesus mentioned in this? Did we get any scripture out of that good moral story? I, I missed it. Well, we don't want to bring too much scripture in because we want to draw people in. And, and some, of, some of us are falling into that trap. There has to be lots of activity. And absolutely, the number one thing to draw people's hearts is a coffee house. Right? You've got to have a coffee house. That's what brings us in. That's what touches our heart. Wakes us up to God. And again, there's nothing in and of itself that are wrong with those things, right? We know that. But it becomes a problem when we think, this is the way that we're going to have God touch people's hearts versus the word of God and the simple gospel message which impacts lives all over the world. It pleased God through our fullest preaching. So we kept preaching, Christ is crucified. You know, many of us hold on to Francis of Assisi's famous saying. Many of you know it. He would say this. Preach the gospel at all times. Remember the second part? Yeah, only use words when necessary. You know what? There's a lot of that that I like. And he's really trying to say, hey, our lives, our lives are to be a testimony of who God is. Our lives are to reflect God's love to people. Our lives do that. And you know what our lives do? We are salt and light. And it's it's beautiful to come alongside someone and and love them up. But you know what? Seriously, it's not enough. They need to know. They need to know truth. You come and give them a big hug. They want to know, why are you hugging me? You freak? (laughs) But they do. They want to know. What's a hug all about? We preach the simple gospel. Let me tell you why I'm giving you a hug. Because I know the love of God. And here's what He says in His Word about you. And you may think this is absurd, but I want to share it with you. I want you to know what God says exactly about who you are and about what He's done and about His offer of salvation for you. I want you to know, and I want to bring the Word, and we will preach... That means verbal communication. You know, I think we forget that there is a world out there starving for truth. There is a world out there longing to know life. They want to hear what God has to say. Who are they going to hear it from? Who are they going to hear it from? It pleased God that we preached Christ. The world says it's foolish. But we continued to preach Christ crucified because we know that the power of God is dynamite. Hebrews 4 says the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts through bone and marrow. The Word of God, the preaching of the Word, the bringing forth of God's truth is living and active. Who are they going to hear it from? This dying world that we're surrounded by who says you're a fool and yet they, they need God more than you know. And in their mockery of you, they're dying inside. You know what? I know, gang, we get a little gun-shy. I know we want to fit in. We don't want to be the guy over there. Oh, that's the Christian. But we cannot forget the power of the Word of God. That even though they may put us at a distance, they need to know and they want to know truth. And I just want you to be reminded of what God says about us. Because He knows we struggle with that. That we'd have this heart and we'd ask God for this because sometimes we are ashamed. Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. It's the dynamite of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first the Jew and then the Gentile. It all seems crazy, it all seems backwards, according to the wisdom of the world, and we're going to be mocked, and we're going to be called absurd, and we're going to be called moronic, but it's the dynamite of God, and the simple gospel needs to get out there. And I know God wants to use you and me to do that. And so let us not be ashamed, because a lot of those people who we were embarrassed by or afraid of all of a sudden, the dynamite of God broke into their hearts because you chose to share with them about God's love. And so we preach the gospel. We are fools for Christ because the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Amen. Fathers, we come up to worship you with our hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, for this body. I pray that you would remind them of your love for them. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us when we're attracted to the wisdom of the world. And, Father, do your work in us. Strengthen us when we're ashamed or afraid to share the gospel. Remind us of the power of your truth. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us in in this room that you you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be sent forth to preach Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ is life. And may people in this room who are putting up an intellectual wall against you, would you break through into their hearts and let them know how much you love them today. In your precious name, amen.